0: Kira, good morning. I hope you're all enjoying the weekend and the extra day that uh, many of us get. <clears throat> we, I'm going to pick up the series from um, our identity or who we are, which Jesse started a couple of weeks ago with Remember with Moses and the contrast of what he was able to do or couldn't do or the mess he made in his own strength and then coming back in the power of God and just seeing a whole nation of people delivered from captivity. And then we looked further about how God did that uh, last week. So uh, what I want to do this morning is just bring this into the new covenant. And uh, something that I want to say, I mean, over the, time that I've been a Christian, which goes back a year or two now, uh, we, I'm sure here at this fellowship, but we in the Western world have had the most amazing teaching. We really, really have. And, and so much of that teaching, whether it comes by way of preaching or by way of reading books or material, whatever, has just built so much into my life, which which I am so grateful for. But uh, the the one thing that I don't feel has been emphasised enough over, uh, you know, so many years of Christianity and all the wonderful things that we've had, is the whole issue of Jesus' presentation of God to us as Father, and what that means to us as sons and daughters. Now, I frequently, when I talk about this, which I'm going to talk about this morning. I I stick with the term son, So, so just let me say it's generic, okay, because actually if you really want to take it, it's so significant in the Old Testament, but if you really want to take it in the literal sense that it's taught in the Old Testament, it's actually confining it more to the firstborn son. So I want to say Galatians 3 uh, echoes this, that when frequently I say sons and forget to include daughters, I'm talking about not only the firstborn son, I'm talking about the role that Jesus brought every born again believer into male, female, firstborn, whatever, every person into. And that was the deep and great privilege of knowing God as Father. Now, Never before in scripture, uh, never before in history, was God ever introduced or brought to his people, his father. Moses didn't do it. Abraham didn't do it. Elijah didn't do it. And we can go on through all the people. Even God calling the nation of Israel out of Egypt, which we've looked about so much before, he did mention as we talked about last week, that they, as a nation, would be seen as the son of God. And he said to Pharaoh, "Um, let my son go. But so irreverent was it considered that anybody would claim such intimacy with God to personally, that's you or I, personally to address him as father, that when Jesus did it, the Jews picked up stones to stone him because they said, that is blasphemous. Now, why was it so offensive? I think, we're okay. Why was it so offensive to the Jewish nation for, for Jesus to not only claim that he could call God Father, but to tell us as believers that we could too. And the reason why is because in the Jewish understanding of father and son, there's a oneness there. So what, what Jesus is saying is he's claiming to be one with God. And not only is he claiming to be one with God, he's claiming that we as the disciples or the followers are also one with God. And this was seen as blasphemous. And I, more and more, I mean, I've, I love the Gospels. I love all the Word of God. But more and more as I'm in the Gospels, I'm seeing Jesus' emphasis of trying to say to us, come and relate to God as your Father. Because... This is a whole new privilege, unheard of before, which he's come to talk about, that we are his son. See, we we can now, and Jesus says this, we can now call God Abba, and I've talked about this before, and I have a chapter of it in my book, which is available at the Hub if, if you want it, but We can call God Abba, and nobody has dared translate the term Abba. It's an Aramaic word. Nobody has dared translate it. That's why even in most versions, almost all that I know of the scriptures that you may be reading, nobody translates that word because it just doesn't lend itself to translation in the way that Jesus brought it to us. It has male and female attributes in it. It is a very, very warm term that is very difficult to use. So Jesus comes and he says, when, we, when, we, when you address God from now on in the Lord's Prayer, you start off, Abba, Father, our Father, and the word Abba is used there again. And he is saying, come and, and use that word. And so this, this implies a oneness with God that not only was seen as blasphemous, but was seen as impossible, that God wouldn't and couldn't possibly give that to any of us. It actually, and I, I don't want to stumble over some of these terms, but it actually, and it's literal, places us in the Trinity, in Christ. Now, see, there is no more intimate place with God and the Godhead of being in the Trinity, which belongs to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, when we begin to address God as Abba, when we pick up the concept of sonship that Jesus brought us in Christ, we are now placed in the Trinity. And I know many people, for whatever reason, stumble over this, but it's clear New Testament theological teaching. In fact, it doesn't lend itself, so much of what Jesus says to any other interpretation. That's why it was so offensive to the people around him. And they so struggled to understand it. So let's, let's just unpack this a little this morning, which is all I can do. John chapter 8, verses 33 to 36, says this. Sorry, I'm starting from 31. So Jesus was saying to the Jews who had believed in him, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. There's a whole message or two or three series there alone, but we'll move on. And you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never yet been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say we will become free? Jesus answered them and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son does remain forever. There's a a, um, comparison right there between slaves and sons. The son stays in the house of God forever. The slave doesn't. So, he says, verse 36. If the sun makes you free, you will be free indeed. Now, let me take a little aside here. See, too often we look at freedom, and if we were to run around the room, I'm sure, and say, what does freedom mean to you? The, the natural response that comes out of us is what we have been set free from which is true and which is amazing and which, as we took communion this morning, we talked about how Christ's blood has washed us clean as white as snow. It's wonderful. But if we want to pick up the kingdom of God and the understanding that Jesus brought it to us and the way he brought it to us we're not just going to look at what we've been set free from we are going to look at and we need to look at in fact I want to say we must look at what we are now free to do and to be see never before goes back 2000 years ago never before did this planet ever have on it people like you and I from the time of the resurrection and ascension and the coming of the Holy Spirit and the day of Pentecost where we have born again believers who are set free in such a way that they can call God Abba Father and get into commune with him this planet has never had people like that on it before in history. That's why the scriptures say the prophets of old could only look towards this time in wonder. Not even the angels, if you want to get into the first few chapters of Hebrews, not even the angels really understood how God was going to raise up a people on this earth empowered in the way you and I are. Everybody stumbled over it. And I dare say, I know we're all so clever now, it's all basic Christianity to us. I dare say 2,000 years ago, we would have stumbled over it as well. In fact, I want to say that it takes the Holy Spirit to reveal it to us, otherwise it's outside of our concept of understanding. And that's who you and I are. And we've said this before. Don't think, well, that applies to the person who sits next to me who's amazing, but it doesn't apply to me, because in Matthew 11, Jesus said John the Baptist was the greatest man that had ever been on earth until that time. And even the least in the kingdom of God is greater than him. So if you've decided in the 2,000 years of history you're the least person in the kingdom of God, well, you're at least greater than John the Baptist. That's not a bad place to start. It helps our identity, seeing that's what we're talking about this morning. So when we became a child of God, we became a whole new creation with a new identity, we come, become part of the family of God, and our identity gets built from the role of sonship, what it means to be a son. So being a new creation means we do things that have never been done on this earth before. We need to hear that. We do things that have never been done on the earth before. Jesus said, greater things than me you will do. He doesn't mean greater things than the things he did by raising the dead and healing the sick and all that. He just says you'll do a lot more of them because you're not restricted as he was back then of being in one place at one time. So he says, you look at what I've done, you'll be doing this in a far greater, wider number than I am. So the Holy Spirit is given, and life is given. It's an ongoing process of transformation. And at this point, Jesus is able to say to us, if what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father, which means we live in him. And he lives in us. Now, you can't get more intimate Than that. I know that husband and wife get very intimate, and and what Jesus wanted for marriage. This is more intimate than that. Jesus is saying you will now abide in me, so I'll abide in the Father, which means we just live all together and my spirit is going to abide in you, and suddenly we're all pulled into a oneness which has God's love and God's grace and God's power flowing freely. See, a son is never free. Uh, Sorry, a slave is never free. Slave can be sold at any time. Some of you may have watched the American history movies on being a slave and some of those things, and you can see how they're treated, and they can be sold at any time. They can go from a good owner to a bad owner or whatever. This never happens to a son. Once a son, always a son. And when a son comes of age, which Galatians 4 is all about, he can act in the household with authority. Why? Because the father has empowered him to do so. Sure, which is the coming of the Holy Spirit. But it goes further than that. See, the son knows the way of the father and the way a slave never can. A father will not take a slave or a servant of the household into his confidence in the way he will take the son. So we need to build on this. So in Jesus in John eight thirty three that we've looked at, Jesus doesn't dispute these people are the descendants of Abraham. He just states it's not enough to be the descendant of anybody, flesh and blood. It doesn't matter who they are. I remember, I mean, I'm going back 30 years now, but we were in home group, and a particular person in the home group was talking about her parents' name and how her parents were very famous and very well-known in New Zealand and different things they are having, and this conversation went on and on and on, and um, finally the home group leader at the time must have got a bit exasperated. I was a fairly new Christian at the time, and he said to the person, hey, There's no salvation in that name. Now, it may have been a bit cruel or a bit harsh, but boy, it brought reality in the conversation. Your parents' name might be great, but there's no salvation in it. So Jesus was saying it's not enough that you're sons of Abraham. That's not going to cut it for where we need to go. And he goes on and he's saying, "Uh, if, if you were truly sons of Abraham and who Abraham was to God, you would see that I was an expression of God and you wouldn't want to be stoning me for the things that I'm doing and saying. But what he's saying is flesh and blood can't reveal to you who I am. It's got to come through revelation from God. And that's the only way that it can come. But it is given when we reach out for him and cry out for him. Yes, when we repent of our sins, but it gets given to us when we surrender because God is God and out of his holiness and his righteousness, we realize that without him we are nothing. See, Jesus is a true son of God. And God's true sons and daughters recognize that. One of the biggest difficulties that we face, and I'm not suggesting you lead in with this in your conversations with people with other religions. I'm really not. But one of the biggest problems we face is sooner or later in any conversation with anybody who doesn't know Jesus, we have to hit the point that there is only one way to God, and that is through Christ Jesus. Sooner or later, we will either stand or fall on what we do with that statement. And as a result of that, we come into sonship, and as a result of that statement, we pick up our identity so John chapter 1 reveals that it's those who believe in the Father and the Son are no longer born of flesh, nor of the will of man. They are now born from the will of God, and they become sons of God. John 1 verse 12 and 13. So we are now the beloved children of the heavenly Father, and the fruit of our lives is expected to reflect this. Now, let's take this into one more step. So we're considering what we are free to be and do rather than just what we are freed from. So let's come to Romans 8. Love this passage. Spend a lot of my life in here. Romans 8, 14 to 17. For all who have been led by the Spirit of God, these are what? Sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery. Praise God for that. We've got something more than just being enslaved to God. Leading to fear again. But you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out. Cry it out. Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. Here's something unique about Christianity. We don't have to wait to the end of our life to find out whether we were saved or whether we made it to heaven or whether we did enough good works or whatever. Here is something, the Spirit of God who lives in you now today, if you are born again tells you every day and every minute of the day that you are truly right now sons and daughters of the living God. Don't ever allow the enemy to rob that from you. How do I know right now here today that I am saved? By one reason, the whole Holy Spirit is constantly telling me that I am a son of the living God. I don't always hear him. The enemy doesn't agree. So often I hear, Bruce, you're nothing. You're blowing it, whatever. But they're all lies. As long as I am walking in righteousness to the degree I can and the degree the Holy Spirit is leading me, I do stand before the Father as his son, and I have that assurance right here, right now, and so do you. The Holy Spirit is not a liar. Verse 17. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is revealed to us. Brothers and sisters, this is not just talking about the future, although it does apply to that. Paul wrote this 2,000 years ago for us to work out in our Christianity today. And our identity is proclaimed right here. See, we are, this is you and I, we are freed from a merely human, powerless, or meaningless life to a life of purpose and calling. So because we are now sons, we can talk to God as Father, and this means he doesn't just communicate with us as Lord and Master and bringing all these edicts and things that we have to do. He listens to us as a father, and he includes us in his counsel and his plans. Not all of them, not everything he's doing, but enough that we can work in harmony with him to change this, the world around us. See, we take on a divine identity. And it means that we are here by divine appointment and divine assignment. Every life that comes on this earth is here by the order of God. But do you realize as sons of God, there is something very special here. We are now here by divine assignment and divine appointment for a divine task that God set for us before we were even born or came on this planet, according to Ephesians 2.10 and a whole lot of other scriptures that I could give. See, we, you and I, may some of this burden sit on you, are custodians of planet Earth today. We are. You and me. We are custodians of planet Earth. Now, this was always God's intention that humanity would manage this planet. Come all the way back to Genesis 1, 28. We can work it from there before the fall. It was always God's intention. So one of the reasons Jesus came here and introduced us to God as Father and made us sons and brought us up into the Trinity and into the counsel of God because we can't be good custodians of this planet if we don't know the Father's plan and purpose for this planet that he's asking us to work with and cooperate with him in achieving in our lifetime. So we have to receive that audience with him. We have the same inheritance that the son has. So all that belonged to him and belongs to him is available to us today. 1 Peter um, 1 verse 3. We can go through a whole lot of other scriptures. I just don't want to go there today. But God communes for the sake of time. But God communes with us about what he wants you and I to do about this world at large and he's looking at that every day and part of our identity comes out of that as it's part of our purpose for life. This means that the relationship the Son with the Father has been opened up to us and can be enjoyed by us and God says come in, don't stand outside don't stand off, I've torn the curtain from top to bottom come into my throne room so as well as loving on you and pouring my grace and my mercy and all those things on you, I can talk to you about this planet which I love and which I gave my life for so you can be Begin to make the changes on it that I always intended to be made and the purpose and the journey of life. See, let me say this. The father knows who you are. The devil, the principalities and powers know who you are. The whole of creation knows who you are. So it's time we discovered who we are and who, what we're empowered to do and started to get out there and achieve it and see these things happen in our lifetime. See, I'm excited about the future, but I get out of bed every morning for the day. I want to make a difference for the day. Again, God has been impressing on my heart as I get up and start the day with him that I cry out, Lord, give me the power to make a difference in life that I couldn't have made before I knew you. And it's the question again, what are you doing today that you couldn't do without the Holy Spirit? And I'm asking myself that again and again because we have wonderful neighbours and they don't all know Jesus but they all do wonderful things. I watch them. So I've got to say, what am I doing that I couldn't do without the power of the Holy Spirit? So here's a good place to start. We need to understand that we are now the creators of the world, not the products of it. What does it mean that we're the creators of the world? We have the power in Christ. That's an important aside. We have the power in Christ to change physical matter. We have the power to change people's lives lives we have the power to change the situation and the circumstances and the economy and the ecology and the finances and the families and so many other things not just locked within our own home but out in the big wide world wherever God puts us if you are the only Christian in your place of work you are the you are a priest before God in that place, and you are the only one he is communicating to and counseling over that situation if you dare ask him about it. You are the only person in your place of employment, if you're the only Christian, that God is talking about, about his plans and his purposes for the world right there within your place of work. Ask him about it. Ask him about what he would have you do and get into the joy as a son working with the father to change the created order. You see, I've stolen this from John Kennedy who was president of the United States in the 60s. And I won't get into all of that, but I stole this from him. We are the people who can change the things most people only complain about. He did it more eloquently than that. I've just refined it into Bruce Billington speak. But we are the people who can change the things that most people can only complain about. We need to realize that. See, we're empowered to do this, and it's fun and rewarding and fulfilling, and it sets people free. I love the comment My son was out walking around town on lunchtime, which he frequently does, looking for opportunities to express the Lord and just love on people. And he gets in quite a long conversation with this very passionate woman promoting Greenpeace. Has a great conversation with her, and at the end he says, but so far you've only told me all the things are wrong that you're protesting about. You haven't told me how they're going to be fixed. Wouldn't you like the power... To change these things, and she says, "Well, apart from getting the governments and the powers that be, that can't be done." He said, "Oh, yes, it can. It can be done in the name of Jesus. But you've got to plug into His power first. Then you can have greater power than the governments and the powers that they be that preside over the nations." Now, I'm sure she thought he'd been smoking something, (laughs) but that's the truth of it. For you and me. That's the truth of it. So what do we do all about this? Well, time is running away. So let's start here. The first thing we need to do if we are sons, truly sons, we need to build an intimate relationship with the Father. That's why we come together this morning and worship and praise. I love this poem. By Jürgen Maltman, which should come up on the screen. These are all the things we do. There's there's no rebuke in this. This is us. My God, we cry out and complain. That's okay. Philippians 2, other passages said we're allowed to do that. That's all right. We cry out and complain. We groan and weep. Some of that's in Romans 8, by the way. We are speechless and silent. And we beg and implore. We wish and we will. We crave and insist. We thank and praise, we rejoice and dance, we sing and we glorify. They're all good things to do, every one of them. A lot of young people here, I I watch you guys at rugby matches and soccer matches, jumping and dancing and carrying on. I wish you'd do it here. I used to, but I'm too old. I run out of breath very quick, and I would have to have mouth-to-mouth resuscitation or something. I wish when the the worship starts up, and if the songs are upbeat, that we see all the young people out here dancing and praising and rejoicing God. It creates an atmosphere that shouldn't just be reserved to the sports grounds. Now, I do it on the sports ground. I was watching my kids play soccer. And in fact, somebody told me, I'm not taking any notice of it, that when you go and watch your kids play soccer these days days, you're not to yell out, name. No, go Violet, go Jesse, you're not meant to do that, you're just meant to say, come on guys, good job, oh I'm sorry, I can't do that. Maybe I'll get arrested, but I can't do that. See, the enthusiasm that we generate should not only come here and overflow here. It should be in our hearts before we arrive. But that's okay if you wake up a little bit grumpy or a little bit slow or whatever. But come here and let your heart go to Jesus. He's worthy of our praise. We have something to be excited about. We have a calling and a vision. We have eternal life. We have brothers and sisters in this room who would lay down their lives for us. I promise you, I've experienced that here from people in my time of hardship. I really have. Come and do it, let loose. I love what David Riddell says. If you think the Spirit of God is not here, and a lot of people say, oh, well, you know, the Spirit of God has left the church today, which is such a stupid statement. But if David Riddell's answer is, well, come and stir him up. Stir him up. comes out of Timothy. Stir him up. Get him going again. If you think the Holy Spirit's asleep, wake him up and say, we want some action. Let's get going. We need to tell God about our joys and our hardships and our suffering because as a loving God, he takes a huge interest in every aspect of our lives. Bring him your requests by all means. Please do that. But don't just do that because that's what servants do with masters. We need to become bonded with God in a two-way relationship of love and respect. So I tell God about the things I'm happy about and excited about as well as the things that are burdening me. I really do. Because he's my father. And I used when my father was on earth, I used to talk to my flesh and blood father like that. So why wouldn't I talk to God like that? When he says, Bruce, I've made you a son. Come and sit down, Isaiah 118. Let's reason together, let's have a chat. So sometimes I just have a chat with him. I want to finish here. If God is truly our Father, and we are his sons and daughters, We need to get to know him, and this takes time. It's like any friendship or relationship involves spending intimate time with him. But the more we get to know God, the more we will love him. That's wonderful. But the true essence of this is the more we get to know God and get into relationship with him, the more we discover ourselves. Saying we're meant to be talking about identity, forgive me if I've strayed all over the place. Why do we love God? Firstly, just love him because of his beauty and his majesty. I'm going to say something which may embarrass somebody here. But I'm going to say it anyway, because, you know, so many things impact our lives, and some more than others. As a very new Christian, when uh, Vanessa and I used to go to home group, Kathy, who was here, used to come and babysit for us. And then we would come back and do our second session, one session at home group, and then a second session with Kathy. We were very young, new Christians and very hungry. And often Kathy would pray. Sorry, Kathy, but here it goes. Often Kathy would pray. I'm being honest with you. I would open my eyes often when Kathy prayed because she prayed like Jesus was really in the room and I thought maybe he turned up. (laughs) I'm serious. I know he's always there. I know who the Holy Spirit is. I know how that works. I might not have then, but I do now. Because, you see, Kathy, so many people had developed such an intimate relationship with God, that is the essence of life. He's a loving, wonderful Father, but He is also a God of holiness and righteousness and majesty and grace. He deserves our worship and he deserves our praise. And he comes and says to us it's not only enough that we're saved and set free and washed clean, he's saying, Come and be my son and enter this precious relationship I have with with Jesus and with the Holy Spirit. Come and be part of that. I'll even tell you what I would have you do, but I'll ask you what you think about this. And as amazing as it seems, I don't know how all of this works, he even takes some of our suggestions on board. I can find you scriptures for that. When Moses said to God, no, don't wipe out all these people, do something different, God says, okay. Do we really think God thought, whoa, wow, I never thought of that. Great idea, Moses. No, see, he, he's wanting Moses to have a meaningful relationship with him. So when Moses makes a ge- suggestion, God says, okay, I'll do that. That's amazing. Guys, that is amazing. Yet the scripture teaches Moses did not have anywhere near the relationship with God that you and I are able to have today. See, as we begin to worship him and praise him and express our heart with him and become a son, we get on this journey of discovery of who God is, and that journey goes on for eternity, but we also discover Who we are. And we are now on the way to becoming the person of God. In this very life today. As he always intended us to be. So God is working to build sonship into us. And that is the true essence of who you and I are. Father we just thank you. Lord as the song says. We stand amazed. Lord we stand amazed. Who is man that you are mindful of him? Yet, Lord, you open up the inner sanctuary, the secret place, and said to us, come in boldly. Father, may we never make light of that. May we take the opportunity. May we make the most of the opportunity. And may the love of being in relationship with you spill out of us all over the place and bring a change to this world, Lord, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you.